0: Hey everybody, did you know the Passionate Health Advocate Show now has video? That's right! We now have a YouTube channel where you can listen and watch our latest episodes. Subscribe to the Passionate Health Advocate Show YouTube channel to stay up to date with our program. Frustrated with your pain or injury? That sucks! But I'm here to help. Hi. My name is Denise DeShutler, and I'm a bodyworker and educator. Why is it so hard to find the care we need to feel better? Most of my clients have asked that question for years until we started working together. Now I'm going to help you find those answers. I'll explore different health disciplines and chat with talented practitioners. We'll share our insights and practical advice to help you get the results you need to feel good again. Because seeking the right care for your health can be a pain in the arse. But with me, your wellness journey will turn into a fun-filled adventure. Buckle up, baby, for the Passionate Health Advocate Show. Welcome, listeners, and thanks for joining. I'm happy you're here. Today, we are going to a place where one nutritionist uses compassion to help people lose weight and keep it off successfully. Let's buckle up. Welcome to the land of food freedom. We are searching for Jonathan McLaren. He is an emotional eating and nutrition coach. Is that you?
1: It is actually. And uh yes, I, I'm on the beach with a palm tree in the background and waves rolling in as well.
0: Wow. Well, if that's the view for food freedom, I'll take it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow. Well, I'm so excited that we are here. This is a very good subject that we're gonna be discussing. Um uh, I think it affects so many people. We just got done through the holidays. Obviously, there's a lot of stress in the air, and I, yeah. I also get uh, listeners that you know want help with this. Um, they may not call it emotional eating, but they mm-hmm. want help with their eating. You know, and I think it's it's challenging for so many people. So I just want to thank you so much, Jonathan, for taking us to this land of food freedom, mm-hmm. and we want to hear all about it.
1: Yeah, I love it. And I think it's, it's really cool to give people hope. Um, we have this tendency to, let's say, look at a struggle that we have and turn all of our attention to the problem and trying to fix the problem instead of trying to create like more good in our lives and expand. So you know, whenever I talk to my, my clients, one of the first things they ask is, tell me about your wins this week. I want to train us to start looking for the good things that we're doing and trying to expand that because we move towards what we focus on. And so if we always focus on trying to fix problems, we're kind of like instructing ourselves that we're a bunch of problems that need to be fixed. And I think that's not the, not the healthiest place to approach trying to create transformation in our lives.
0: Yes, I agree. And that's, I'm I'm so glad you're starting with that already. It's like people don't realize Myself included, because we're not programmed that way. We're yeah. Not programmed that way. So it definitely is a behavioral pattern to practice.
1: Yeah, our, our brain is wired to search for negativity. Um, it is a natural sort of primal instinct that we have our, our primal brain wants to look for threats and so we're, our attention is drawn much more easily to negative and so it actually takes some conscious effort and conscious input and this is exactly why i do this whenever when i like to, whenever i jump on a coaching call with my clients it's always going to be hey let's talk about your wins first let's train your brain to make this the first thing you look for because i like the idea of adding health and growing and nurturing something good that's in you versus trying to fix something that's broken in you because if we don't want to start i start from the premise i, I do at my coaching superpowers, x-ray vision. I look at people and I, I can see their potential. And that's what excites me about the work that I do is I love it. It's like, I want to unlock all this beautiful potential that I see in you. That's kind of the goal.
0: Oh, nice. And I like your metaphor. It's like having that grow. It's kind of like thinking about a plant, right? It's like, yeah. okay, so maybe there's that leaf that's, you know, dried up. You're going to take it off, but you're seeing how it's growing and you're nurturing. Yeah. it. Yeah.
1: Well, I'm, I'm a, I'm a parent. And so I've got a, a young son. He's just uh, coming up on 11 months old. And, you know, I think to myself, if I was to start every day and go to him, you know, you suck. Let me tell you like, hey, right. <laughs> yeah. You know, how is he going to grow and develop if every day I start with that energy of you suck, let me fix everything that's wrong with you. He's, he's, I mean, it hurts my heart even thinking about that, you know, cause I love yeah. him. He's such a beautiful little boy. Why would we ever do that to ourselves? Like, how can we expect ourselves to really grow and blossom and in, into something th- that we're actually capable of becoming? If we start from this place of you're broken and need to be fixed, let's figure out everything is wrong with you. Uh, so I'd rather let's figure out everything that's going well and just uh, expand, nurture and grow that and it's not that we ignore like the unhelpful behaviors, but we're looking at it through a different lens. And I think that's the really important part.
0: Definitely. And uh, not that you know, are sacrificing your son to use him as an example, but I think anybody watching or listening when they think of a baby, um, you know, it's a good idea to hold on to that image before talking to yourself. Because I think, uh, yeah. yeah, it's so easy to do that to our own selves, for sure. So, well, let me ask you, now that we're in you know, the land of food freedom, how did you get here?
1: I've had I've had a really crazy journey. Um, I just ticked over forty recently, and I look at the, like the last twenty years, and what a, what a crazy journey it's been. I, I've I've had a crazy variety of careers, from like nanotechnology researcher to power line technician, marine engineer in the navy, um, globe trotting English teacher, uh, running a nutrition and supplement store, um, and along the way, uh, you know, now I'm an online nutrition coach, and so just as crazy variety of experience. We, my wife and I have traveled the world. We've, uh, we were so glad we did it when we had the opportunity to, because um, I think that looks different nowadays. Um, but along the way, it was when I was living in South Africa, I went through a traumatic experience uh, where I was attacked and nearly beaten to death. And there was, there's nothing in life that really prepares you for going through something like that. And my innate response was to turn to food as a way of, of trying to suppress and bury and hide these difficult emotions that come from it. Um, and and part of that could have even come from when I reflect on it, this idea that having difficult emotions are bad and and should be buried and hidden suppressed, especially in masculine culture. And so I, it's not that I set out to become a binge eating food addict, but it's, that was really in response to my trauma an unconscious response. And I didn't turn to drugs or alcohol as some people might uh, post trauma, but I did turn to food and that led me to becoming morbidly obese. And so I I then found myself wading into this murky world of weight loss because I'd previously been fairly athletic and, and active. And it was, and I love that. And, and all of a sudden now I have, it almost felt like my body had betrayed me. And I'd felt like angry and spiteful and kind of loathing towards my body because now I'm stuck in this obese body and it's this huge battle. And I went through probably six or seven years of like yo-yo dieting and struggling and trying to create some kind of change. And it wasn't until I worked with a coach who really shone a light on, and what the real problem was, you know, I'd, I'd go went deep into the nutrition science, deep into the supplement science. I was, you know, data driven. I had spreadsheets, I had calculations, counting macros, counting calories. Like I had it all figured out numerically. And that wasn't even where the problem was. <laughs> like I was missing the proverbial, missing the forest for the trees. And And this coach really, really highlighted for me was the problem was my relationship to myself and to my body. And I was starting from this place of hating and rejecting my body. And it's like, if I could hate it enough and reject it enough, it would go away. (laughs) And it sounds crazy when I look back and think about it. And, you know, I may not have expressed it in those words, but that's literally what I was doing. I was, I was trying to reject my body and and create change from that place. And so he modeled for me what compassion actually looks like. And as I started to nurture a sense of compassion for myself and, and accept where I was in that present moment, then I was actually able to create change because in order for us to truly create change, we have to, we have to be willing to make peace with where we're presently at because that's our starting point. And so I really credit him for dramatically changing my life by showing me this different perspective.
0: Wow. Yeah. I can only imagine (laughs) uh, what you must've gone through. And I'm so happy that your story ends with you here in this land. Um, what a huge transformation. And the fact that you found someone to help you get there is, is excellent. And I think this is why you're here now to help everyone else that's struggling with those issues.
1: Um, yeah, like, I think my hope is to help people shorten the curve, because I wonder, not everybody, you don't necessarily have to have had, you know, a traumatic experience in your background, although I think every one of us, in a sense, has been traumatized by the last couple of years, but, you know, very very often could just be subtle things that add up over time, you know, a little snarky remark when you're seven years old about, hey, don't eat too much cake, you might get fat, you know on an impressionable young brain that, that leaves a mark. And then, you know, you go through the awkward teen years and then, you know, you get into your twenties and, you know, trying to find yourself into adulthood and so on. Like there's all these things that kind of build up over time that get you to this place where you didn't really, nobody, like, I didn't set out to become obese. It wasn't like that was my goal in life. So I think getting to this, again, back to this place of acceptance where we go, Like it wasn't my choice. Like I didn't try to get here on purpose. (laughs) My brain, and and in fact, this really leads into kind of the work that I do, which I I call it brain-driven weight loss. And and as you said um, before we started recording, I wish I could just say side effects may include weight loss because the real work is, you know, all behavior makes sense. And so even those behaviors that are unhelpful, even those behaviors that are pushing us in the wrong direction, there's a reason why they're occurring. And if we can start to understand why they're occurring and see them through the lens of compassion, then we can actually create um, true change around that.
0: Okay. So I'm glad you brought up brain driven weight loss uh, for people listening. Cause you, you brought up yourself, you know, you went through this traumatic <coughs> ordeal um, you, you gained weight so much that you became obese and then you were mm-hmm. looking at, you know, all the data in order yes. to rectify that, but it wasn't working. So when you talk about, um, you know, working with the brain, how does that work with behavior when, you know, someone's going to approach this, how are we understanding what the, what the brain is doing that's helping?
1: Yeah. Well, I think so. Um, a lot of our efforts to create change and in this case, we're using weight loss and people listening, that may not be your goal, but in really in any instant where we're trying to create change in our life, we very often take this outside in approach. So um, I have to impose these certain rules and restrictions. And when you start from that place of I have to impose rules and restrictions on you, it says you yourself do not have the strength to do this. So you have to be forced to do this. Mm -hmm. And that really disrespects individual autonomy and our sense of identity and who we are. And our brain will fight against anything that feels like a threat to who we see ourselves to be. So the way that our brain is, we have a very strongly formed sense of identity and a series of beliefs that accompany that. And in a sense, we could define a belief as just a thought that we accept as true. You know, as a kid, you thought the tooth fairy was a thing or maybe Santa or the Easter bunny or things like that. So we have this, this framework of beliefs and the sense of identity. And when we try to do something that goes against it, our brain will resist that and push us to go back to um, and, and, A sense of who we see ourselves to be. So if we don't, if we don't address at sort of this core fundamental level, you know, um, like our habits come from our sense of identity, our emotions often come from our sense of identity, our brain filters information based on who we see ourselves to be to try to confirm that. So when we understand this is where it's coming from, it's like, okay, I have to look at creating change at a completely different level than um, just following a set of rules that some external source has told me I'm supposed to follow.
0: Wow. Okay. So that makes sense when, you know, if you talk about, since we're talking about food and, and eating uh, diets. So for example, if someone's kind of, you know, where they are at, or maybe they're shameful about their weight, and then yeah. there's this strict diet that they have to, you know, that's been presented to them to try, you're saying that's like, it's going to be a natural rejection.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So our, our, our brain will resist that because maybe let's, let's use another example, because I, I like analogies. So let's just say, um someone sets the goal that they want to run a marathon um but there's someone who at best walks maybe you know a mile or something like that a marathon runner if you think about like the habits that they have the habits the behaviors how they nourish themselves how they train their activity level and so on is such a departure from let's say someone who's just kind of sits on the couch you know goes walks their dog you know um orders skip the dishes a couple times a week that kind of thing it's such a departure from who they presently are that it's too far for the brain to, to go. It's too much of a leap. And so the brain will, will say, no, we can't do this. What our hope is, is if I set this big lofty goal that has quite a bit of pressure connected to it, like, oh, I signed up to try and qualify for the Boston Marathon or something. We hope that the pressure of that goal will somehow force us to create change. Ultimately, that's not going to happen because our brain will reject anything that that leads us to feeling uncomfortable eventually. Now, in saying that, we sometimes have this pattern, this um, maybe a sense of familiarity with being stressed and under pressure. We can even almost have, dare I say, a sense of addiction to stress. Not that we actually want it, but it's so familiar for us to be stressed. It's so familiar for us to operate under this sense of pressure in order to try and even accomplish anything in life that to to even think about alleviating some of that stress um, is is a little bit dis disconcerting for our brain because it's an unfamiliar place to be where we're not overwhelmed by stress.
0: That makes a lot of sense. I mean, yeah, a lot of people like, you know, work under pressure, they, they thrive under there. So, you know, if we're one of those people that definitely thrive under pressure, how does this new approach uh, work?
1: Well, I like to look at things from the perspective of the nervous system. And we're not wired in such a way, like it's not beneficial for our long-term health to always be creating stress. So we need, we need to experience some stress in our life. Stress is the impetus to change, move and grow. With no stress, we would probably just be a blob of jelly. But there's, there's what's called allostatic load. And what that refers to, if you know what a, a bell curve looks like, I mean, it's a curve that looks like a bell. And if you go up one side, it's kind of like how much stress is beneficial to create growth. And the the peak of the bell curve is like the perfect balance between just enough stress to maximize growth paired with your capacity to recover. If you start to exceed that, you get into this state called allostatic load. So there's more stress in your life than you're truly capable of recovering from. You start to develop what's known as a recovery debt. Now, this might, it might fly under the radar, even for a number of years, but it will eventually catch up to you if you continually stress yourself beyond your capacity to recover. And it starts to show up like, you know, I need coffee to stay awake, um, or function, I'm not human without my coffee, maybe uh, only getting five or six hours of sleep at night. Um, you know, again, setting setting all of these, putting ourselves procrastinating to put ourselves into these pressure pack situations to force change to happen. That's the sign of a nervous system that's kind of redlining and getting getting really exhausted. And so, it's not to say that we don't ever need to experience some stress, but we're almost um, as a society, even at a societal and systemic level, we're massively overstressed. And it's, it's going to have, and does have long-term health ramifications, whether that's neurodegeneration, we're seeing an increase in that, whether, you know, cardiovascular disease continues to be one of the top killers, uh, you know, and, and these are, are things that are preventable, but because we don't see, we don't pay the price necessarily for operating that pattern right away. It's something that accumulates over a number of years that we don't see necessarily the impetus to create change.
0: Yes, uh, I totally agree with that. As far as it makes sense to me, because uh, every day you can kind of bear it, right? If you're just mm-hmm. like climbing up the ladder, bit by bit, it's coming on, and and so it's really hard to change until something traumatic happens, which yeah. unfortunately that's usually what will cause the great big change.
1: Right. It's um. It's almost like we we get into this wave of. Um, Wave of real discomfort, like I talk about waves, because I mean, I think, you know, motivation comes in waves, for example, the, the impetus to change, but usually preceding that is a wave of pain and discomfort, that's, you know, uncomfortable enough that we go, I, I must do something like this, I must do something about this, because I no longer, you know, I no longer want to be in this discomfort. And I think the mistake that we make is we treat it as though that, so then the wave of motivation comes and I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this and do this. And our brain will start to create a picture of, of what we're going to look like, how we're going to feel, what our life is going to be like, and so on in our subconscious mind. And from that picture, it's our, our, our brain doesn't really distinguish between the subconscious and our, our conscious perception. So it starts to reward us with dopamine as though we've already accomplished that goal. Mm. Now, it's cool that our brain does this because that, that surge in dopamine, dopamine is a neurotransmitter that makes us feel pleasure. It's, like, it's actually a learning chemical. We learn a new skill. If we do something and we feel pleasure, we, we, we've learned something. Now, that surge in dopamine, what it does is it gets us to overcome our innate or our primal resistance to change. So it gets us started on the path to change. But kind of where, where we go astray is we we feel as though this wave of motivation should sustain us all the way until we get to whatever it is, the outcome we're looking for. And that's never going to happen. It it comes in like a wave, a wave peaks, it crests, and then it breaks and falls away. Mm. And so if we're aware that this is actually, this is really how our brain works versus how, you know, I want the sustained motivation for the rest of my life kind of thing where everything's going to be perfect and wonderful. It's like, well, that doesn't really exist. That's not how, because our brain can't keep as high all the time. You know, if your brain kept you high all the time on dopamine, you would actually become depressed because you would lose the ability to appreciate and have pleasure in everyday life. And so you get a surge in dopamine and it goes off so you don't become desensitized to it. So it's like there's, there's a reason why all this stuff happens. But we're, we also think about how digital technology has us hooked on the dopamine drip. So hooked and always feeling good. And and that distorts our perception of what is what is real and what is human in the experience of trying to create change.
0: Well, I'm so I'm glad that you brought it up in that perspective of, of the waves, uh, because I think that you're right. That's where people tend to beat themselves up. I mean, yeah. myself included. I think that's a natural thing. It's like, oh, I, you know, I said I was going to do this or I committed to do this. And then that, you know, that ting of motivation is gone and then you're just beating yourself up. I mean, that tends mm-hmm. to happen, right? So
1: that's, a, you know, beating yourself up is a really interesting one because I go back to my, my framework or my lens that all behavior makes sense. And so beating ourselves up is, is there's a purpose to it. So, cause we would think, oh, it doesn't make sense to do that. No, you're doing it for a reason. Now, sometimes it's like, it's like a learned behavior in one sense, but it's, I need to pay the price for my crime. And if I can pay the price for my, I say crime in air quotes, you know, um, <laughs> yeah. but the crime being, um, let's say maybe I ate a food I wasn't supposed to. Maybe I, you know, went on a week long binge or something like that. Now I need to beat myself up to pay the price. So the goal of beating yourself up is actually to remove a sense of guilt. So you pay the price, mm-hmm. the guilt, you can take the guilt away. Now, what's really interesting is, of course, that doesn't move you forward. So beating yourself up or, or somebody else judging you or criticizing you, what it does is it creates the desire to hide the behavior. So, not change the behavior, but hide the behavior, so you don't feel the guilt. And so, for me, it's like binge eating would 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 almost uh, drive further binge eating because binge eating was a way to bury the guilt, and then I'd feel guilty about having had a binge. And so, I would. But the learned behavior was to eat food to make that feeling go away. So the interesting piece here is the other way to remove some guilt is with compassion, but compassion moves us forward instead of backwards. And that's why it's like a core tenet of the work that I do. So maybe I'll, I'll, I'll give you a little illustration so we can understand okay, what I great. mean when I say compassion. Yeah. So let's just say I, I bump into you. Uh, maybe, maybe you invited me over for coffee and uh, I get over there and there's, there's half a bottle of wine. You know, it's midday on a Tuesday. And there's half a bottle of wine gone on your coffee table. And If I was to come up to you and go, you know, you know better than this. Like, don't be dumb. And, and just immediately create the sense of I'm judging you for having drank half a bottle of wine on a Tuesday afternoon. Your response is to hide the behavior. So judgment creates the desire to hide the behavior. So that doesn't help you. But very often, that's how we try to create change or what we expect, maybe from a coach or a trainer or something, yell at me, beat me up, whip me, you know, tell me what a piece of trash I am to try to, you know, motivate my worthless self to create change. Like, no, all it does is create the desire to hide the behavior. Now, on the other hand, if I go to you and go, well, you're already halfway through, Ah, might as well finish the whole thing. Um, that's called enabling, right? Mm-hmm. So now I'm, I'm continuing to encourage that behavior being repeated. So I'm, I'm not helping you move forward. So compassion walks the middle road and says, hey, let's figure out how you got here without judgment. right?" So let's say what happened that got you to the place where you're drinking half a bottle of wine on a Tuesday? Because that behavior is happening for a reason. So if we can understand that without judgment, we can bring that behavior into the light. And even though it's uncomfortable to, to kind of analyze that, that unhelpful behavior without the judgment, we're able to, and with the lens of compassion, we're able to see it and then understand it. And through that create change. Nice.
0: Nice. So would you, um, Can you give an example for yourself? I mean, you went through this whole uh, process and maybe an example of, of how you were before. And then when you brought compassion into.
1: Oh man, I would, I would um, almost spite eat. So I would be so angry that my body was obese and I felt like it had betrayed me and I hated myself and I hated my body. And I, I mean, I genuinely did. Like I was, if I ever spoke to a friend the way I used to speak to myself in the privacy of my own head, like I would not have a friend in the world. It was, it was awful. And then in response, I would, I would like eat more food. It was almost like, fine, if you're going to be fat, I'm going to make you really fat. I'm going to make you pay for this. Like it was just, I look back now and I go like, Oh my gosh, I was an entirely different person. I was stuck in this place. Mm -hmm. And it's so hard to get out by yourself. In fact, I think it's almost impossible. And and it's like, it's something like weight loss in, in the 21st century is extremely difficult to accomplish. And I wish I could tell people it was easy. I bet I'd sell more coaching programs if I told people this was easy. But the truth is we have a world that makes it really, really difficult to do this. We have a lot of forces acting against us. And so then of course, when we start beating ourselves up and, and all of this, we just make it harder. Um, and so it was, I, I remember when I went, I'd eaten a pizza, like in my car in a parking lot, you know, the whole, no one, no one sees it. So I guess it doesn't count. And I was, you know, halfway through the pizza and I just, I, I, I was pretty full because it was an extra large, like stuffed crust pizza, but I forced myself to keep eating the whole thing. Cause I was like, well, I bought the damn thing. Now I have to eat it and so on. And then I remember like going to my coach, this, this coach who I say he changed my life, you know, and telling him about this. And he did not respond the way that I thought My expectation was he was going to tell me I was an idiot that I know better. Why would I do something that and so on? And instead, he said, huh, that's interesting. That was his first response when I told him I'd just eaten like an entire pizza by myself in a parking lot. Was that's interesting. And and sometimes when we hear a response that's completely the opposite of what we're expecting, all of a sudden I was kind of like taken aback. I'm like, Well, what do you mean? And, and so we said, well, and he started asking like some really good questions, you know, like what happened that day, you know, and, and uh, maybe what's happened over the last couple of days, what's been going on in your life and helping me to realize that this behavior was not just a random out of the blue occurrence, but there's actually a chain of events that was really leading up to why this happened. And, you know, I, I, speak to, to binge eating because it was one of the things that I struggled with. Binges aren't random there's always a chain of events that leads to the point where you get to this place where now the, the manifestation of that behavior occurs. But if you, it, I, so I started to learn to figure out what are my triggers? What are the things that start moving me in the direction of this impulse or this urge? And if I could realize earlier on, I'm heading in that direction, I could basically head it off before it happened. So it's really cool. Yeah. So, but it started with my coach saying, that's interesting."
0: yeah I I, yeah that's I mean I can see that now how that works it's just like it creates space Mm -hmm. for exploration and then to examine and assess versus I feel like you know if you're just beating yourself up or dealing with all the shame there's no space for anything oh yeah it's the passionate health advocate dance break now get up and shake your thing
1: Yes. Yeah. And, and, uh, I'm really clearly, I'm passionate about this. I love this, <laughs> but I'm really particular about the language I hear from my clients mm-hmm. and they'll, they know that I'm going to pick up on like single words here and there. So a very common one, I'm starving. No, you're not. Now, why, why is zero in on a word is because a word informs our brain of, of about how important that is to us. So if we say I'm starving, that informs our brain that this is an emergency. So we forget all sort of, um, all all rules about eating are are off. And it's like, what, if I have to eat six Snicker bars to like overcome this, that's acceptable because I'm starving. So we've created a sense of urgency from the word that we used. Um, Or a lot of people talk about, um, you know, I have to resist this. I have to fight this. And if that's the message you keep giving yourself, then that's your brain is going to form a belief around that and filter information in such a way that every time, uh, that we confirm that to be true. So now we form this belief that losing weight is hard, losing weight is miserable, losing weight is a struggle. When we use that kind of language around it, we really create this perception and then our brain will try to reinforce that as true. And so, this isn't me trying to say losing weight is a walk in the park but how we speak about it is really really important and it has a significant effect on whether or not we're going to be successful in creating change. So if we speak about it like a fight and like a struggle and I have to resist and you know I'm going against who I am as a person to try to create this change ultimately it's going to fail.
0: Yes, I mean everything about I think the way our culture deals with it is a fight. Yeah. <laughs> And it's like, okay, no one wins out of, out of that. So if you're, if you're talking with someone and they're using that language, how do, you, how do you get them to the point where it's like they believe this is part of them or who they can be?
1: I, first of all, I show them belief. So I say, you can borrow my belief in you until you believe in yourself. Oh, nice. Because it's really important that they understand that creating this change is possible in their life. Because mm-hmm. we will not stick with something if we believe it's a hopeless endeavor. But very often, so whenever we, let's say, whenever we start out on a transformation or we're thinking about starting out on some kind of transformation journey, our brain is going to create a prognosis, right? So it's going to look back at our past experience and say, you know, if I'm going to spend energy on this, I want to look back and uh, over at my past experience and try to predict whether or not I'm going to be successful in this endeavor. And that'll determine whether or not I'm really going to put any effort into this or not. Well, very often, if you look at your own personal experience and say, well, I tried a number of times and failed. So your brain is going to say like, well, there's probably a pretty good chance you're going to fail. Now I'm not, as a coach, I'm not encumbered by that. So I don't have that filter. So all I do is I look at you exactly as you are in this present moment, you know, and go, what's possible for you based on exactly, you know, your, your strength, your age, your, you know, and so on. What's possible for you right now? So I'm not encumbered by your past. I think that's really powerful. And so it's like, I model the behavior that they're looking for. They need in themselves. I model the belief in them before they necessarily have it in themselves. So they start to know what it looks like and may not, they may not even realize that I'm doing it. Although sometimes they will overtly say you can borrow my belief in you until you start to believe in yourself. Here's why I believe this is possible. Um, one of my favorite clients, you know, she's uh, in her mid sixties and she has about a hundred pounds to lose and why she's one of my favorite clients uh, one, cause she shows up to all our calls with like a pen and paper. So she's like taking notes diligently. And <laughs> I just, I love that. But, but because at her age, she has not given up. Mm-hmm. She said, I, I need to make this happen. And, and, and I have, I'm, I'm not, I'm not accepting this as like my fate for the rest of my life. And I love that. And, you know, on our first call, she was like, uh, I'm not going to lie. I had a, I grabbed a mouthful of chocolate chips before hopping on this call, you know? And I thought, and I just started laughing because I was like, that's absolutely makes sense because the first impression is, okay, I now have to move into this mode of restriction in order to create this change in my life. The moment we start putting ourselves into a straitjacket, our brain's going to start fighting it. And it's like, no, actually what we're going to do is we're going to start making adult choices. You have the freedom to make a choice. You have the, you know, so instead of saying like, I have to eat this, it's like, I choose to eat this. So shifting our language is really, really powerful because it instructs our brain, whether something is, is important or relevant or not. So our language really does matter.
0: Yes. uh, Language does matter. And I love how you were able to uh, put that in the picture of, of how you work with people and how that helped yourself and, uh, and your client, um, You know, coming in open and honest and ready—that's oh man, sounds like a great, great person to work
1: with. (laughs) She's she's a a real delight. I love it. Oh, nice. I,
0: I think. um, Well, you know, I'm very happy that you took us here, and I like the way you you process things because I know when I work with people, same thing. It's it's very similar when it's with pain and how we talk about our pain and living in that pain. Even if you're not even in the pain anymore, it's this behavioral thought process of yourself, and so. Language does affect the brain and how we process it. And I know that's what I do with my clients. So I really understand what you're talking about in the way that you work with your clients. And, you know, if people that are listening right now and they're, they're really intrigued, um, what would you, what would you recommend to them right now? If they're having struggles, what would be the first step that they could do?
1: Well, I like to say that change starts with compassionate awareness. So, um, over 95% of our brain function is, is unconscious, right? And it's necessary because if we tried to consciously acknowledge every thing that our brain was receiving, we'd just run around screaming. <laughs> we just wouldn't <laughs> be able to function. So knowing that, that means that a lot of our behaviors that are keeping us stuck are unconscious or subconscious patterns. And so in order to create change, we have to start to bring these patterns into our conscious awareness. But if we don't have compassion, we'll start to judge ourselves for seeing the mistakes and we'll move into that pattern of beating ourselves up. And so it's rather you start from this place of being a curious observer. Okay. I'm standing in front of the pantry my hands like in, you know, in the bag of chocolate chips, what's happening? How did I get here? You know, not what, what an idiot. I'm doing this all over again. We don't want to reinforce that. So we start with this place of compassionate observation. So very often, one of the simplest things I have my clients do is take photos of their meals. So we're not counting calories, we're not, you know, crunching numbers and making spreadsheets and stuff like that. All I want to do is get them to start training their brain to do this. So we need to do a physical action to, to kind of mimic that. So to create that conscious awareness. And so taking a photo of your meal is a really simple way to to do that. So what we're doing is we're now bringing our, our, our sort of unconscious patterns around food into our conscious awareness. Now, something really interesting here, of course, is if you don't want to take a photo if you want to pretend that this doesn't exist or to pretend that this isn't happening, it's like, okay, we've uncovered a trigger here now. So I, I almost like this idea of, yeah, I, I need to sort of form the analogy a bit better, but let's say, you know, if we put a paper bag over your head and I said to you, uh, you know, manifest this bag off your head, it's not going to happen because no matter how much work you do in your mindset, you can't just by the power of your mind alone, remove that paper bag from your head. So you actually have to physically take an action to remove that bag from your head and to create clarity of vision. And so I, clearly, I love this brain-driven stuff. This is this brain-driven weight loss, this brain-driven transformation. This is what I do. But ultimately, we can't forget that at the end of the day, to create change in our physical body and our physical world, we must take action. So to tie in maybe one more piece here, we create action around things that make us feel good. And so creating change, if it's resisting against who we are and who we see ourselves to be doesn't feel good. And that's why it doesn't stick. So I have what I call an emotionally compelling reason. So let's say I'm a former binge eating food addict, but these things, these urges still exist in my life. Like it's not that I just, I respond to them differently. You know, they don't hold mm-hmm. the same power they used to, but they still show up in my head sometimes, but I have a young son and, and I look at him and I go, okay, I'm 40 and he's coming up on a year. So I'm going to be 50 and this kid's going to be 10, right? Like I've got to be, I want to be present in his life. I want to be able to get on the floor and play with him. I want to be able to roll around, run after him. You know, if he wants to play sports, I want to be able to play sports and so on. And I want that more than I want to eat a big old bag of chips. Mm -hmm. And so for me, when I make a healthy choice, when I choose to eat a meal that nourishes me, it's also connected to a bigger reason. It's connected to this bigger purpose of, Mm -hmm. I am not a sideline dad. I'm a present dad. You know, I am physically able to be a dad to this kid. And so whatever that is, if we can find that emotionally compelling reason, it's going to give meaning and positive emotion to sometimes these really sort of, I don't want to say boring, but it's very unglamorous, the things that we need to do to be healthy, really. And there's a lot of repetition involved. But if we can create a sense of meaning and positive emotion around it, because we're doing it for this bigger purpose, it's much more likely to stick.
0: Yeah. And, you know, the fact that you actually gave it a bigger purpose, that's the motivation versus the pressure right? Yeah. Then that helps with the motivation. And so it sounds like for yourself and for your clients, you help them one, bring compassion to themselves two mm. see a bigger picture or a bigger motivation or a bigger meaning behind choosing versus forcing uh, yeah. a diet, choosing what to eat.
1: Yeah, um, absolutely. Because I mean, they're, they're, like we can also be real and say there isn't a day coming where, you know, a steady diet of pizza, donuts and ice cream is going to be healthy. right? It's that, you know, like for, for all of this talk, uh, it's important to acknowledge that like, there's a lot of food out there that doesn't serve us and doesn't help us, but my choice not to eat it is not now about depriving myself of pleasure, you know, because those foods used to solve a problem in my life. They used to, there was a, there's a reason why I was eating them um, because it was taking away pain and discomfort temporarily, of course. And so there isn't a time coming when these foods become healthy, but uh, you know, now I can, I can, choose um to indulge consciously. So my my, kind of my rule of the thumb, and this is for myself, is if I'm gonna let's say eat something indulgent, I will put it at the end of a meal. Now why I do that is now when I go to eat that, I'm eating it purely for enjoyment. I'm not eating it to satisfy hunger. I'm not eating it to push away some sort of difficult emotion or anything like that. I'm eating it purely to enjoy I've already met my body's need for satiety. I've already met my body's need for nutrition and nourishment. And now I'm acknowledging I'm eating this purely for pleasure.
0: Nice. Oh, that's so good. Okay. And um, how long has it been for you since? Uh, may I ask how much weight you lost and mm. how long it's been?
1: Yeah. Well, I've lost over a hundred pounds. Uh, I like mm. to joke that I've lost more like six hundred because I've lost and gained so many times. Um, so it's been it's been quite significant and. It was, it was about 2018 when I really when I hit that mark of like a hundred pounds lost. So we're, we're, we're coming up on four years.
0: Wow. Congratulations. Well,
1: thank you. And, and I think like, that's the hallmark of success. And that's what I really want to help people get to is, you know, it's one thing to lose weight. We can tie you to a tree and starve you and you'll lose weight. But as soon as we untie you from that tree, you're heading for the nearest buffet because mm-hmm. your brain's like, you know, I've been put in this you know, straight jacket for too long. So the internal work didn't happen to create the change. Um, you know, I have another client who, um, in her forties, she just hit like the lowest weight she's had since um, she was 22, she said. And, and when we started, like she was so terrified because she'd done keto for so long and she's terrified of carbohydrates and how it was going to cause her to gain weight. And, you know, but she really wanted to eat them because carbohydrates are enjoyable and delicious. And there's actually some really nutritious carbohydrate rich foods. Like there's, there's plenty of reason to eat them. Um, And so I thought it was so um, amazing to get to this place where she's at the lowest weight she's ever been. No dieting, no cutting out of food groups, no counting calories and macros, but really shifting the internal environment. It's it's still a new approach, I think, relative to how long sort of dieting and point counting and calorie counting and, and all this has been with us. But it's really powerful when this work happens.
0: I would say so. I mean, what you just explained with that client, uh, this, that is what food freedom means for sure. It's like, Oh my God, like it's possible to do it without any of that. I mean, anybody listening that's been having trouble with binge eating or just their weight or food, feeling guilty about the food that they're eating. That just, that does sound like paradise where you're at with your background. I mean, that, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. So if people want to maybe work with you, how would they approach that?
1: Well, I'd, I'd love to just basically offer people a chance to extend the conversation or become a part of the conversation. I've never really done this before. so. Um, but I have a link and we can put this in the show notes, freedomnutrition.rocks. I love my vanity link, <laughs> freedom, nice. nutrition.rocks. I like it too. Uh, so freedom, rocks slash power chat. And you can book a time for a 15 minute power chat with me. And the idea here is simply, we're going to look at where you're stuck and what, what you need to get you unstuck. And if it makes sense to work together, we can have that conversation. But you know, sometimes that one chat is all people need to get unstuck. And so I just really would like to invite people to, to jump on a conversation and, um, I'd like to say I'm pretty approachable. I don't think I'm that scary to talk to. So uh, I think it'd be a really enlightening conversation. and I love having these conversations. It's like the highlight of my day. So.
0: Oh, that's excellent. That's so, you know, I really appreciate you offering that and being of service. And and just, I can tell that you're really passionate about what you do and, and it shows and I'm excited that, you know, you've gotten this far and you're helping people. So thank you for, for offering that for our listeners. Yeah. And um, you mentioned earlier, this was before our recorded conversation, but you also have a guide. Is that correct?
1: Yes. Uh, it's called Crush Your Cravings. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what's the, oh, freedomnutrition.rocks. Oh no, sorry, freedomnutritioncoach.com. That's my actual website. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Free, freedomnutritioncoach.com slash book. So I, again, I try to make it really simple and memorable. So freedomnutritioncoach.com slash book. And that'll take you to where you can get Crush Your Cravings. And it's, it's really like a a four step guide to help you navigate cravings. So I really want to, it's, it's about how do I navigate any craving I'll ever hit in my life? You know, how can I go through it? So it really is, you know, and there's a couple of other things I throw in there, a couple of bonus things, you know, how to sleep your way to a lower weight just to make it click baby, but uh, it's, it is possible. And so um, just to entice people to to sign up and get a, a free copy of that as well
0: cool nice thank you so much and then um all right so let's say some people you know do the power chat and they yeah. move forward with coaching how does that look like is what's the duration what, what does that look like coaching well, with you
1: yeah i don't i don't necessarily lock anybody into a contract but my my flagship program is called lifestyle 180 and it is a 180 day program and it, it's really about an entirely different direction in your life so maybe we could say like in a nutshell, what we're doing is we're going to reverse engineer your healthy lifestyle. So rather than trying to change everything all at once, like, you know, boom, here's the rule book, you have to start following from day one. That's a recipe for 100% failure, you know? And, and, you know, most weight loss programs, like we've touched on, they involve strict food rules, restrictive meal plans, expensive supplement regimes, you know, all this kind of stuff that doesn't work. And so really what I've tried to do is I marry the, the science of metabolism, the psychology of behavior change, and the compassion of human connection. And it's about empowering each individual to reverse, reverse engineer their own healthy lifestyle. So instead of you following my rules that I dictate that you must do, we work like two experts collaborating. So you are the expert of your own life experience. And then I'll bring my expertise in nutrition, science, and change psychology. And together, we actually shape your lifestyle. So you have an active hand in this. So, you know, I might start you with a principle, but you take that principle and you shape it to fit your life. And because you're actively participating in this process, it becomes something that you take ownership of. So when we're done working together, you don't just collapse because me, this external force is leaving your life. You now are fully empowered to move forward yourself. And so it's, you know, I'm I'm slightly biased because it's my own program that I've created, but I think it's it's really cool that we do this and we work together in this way.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. I love. I mean, I love the sound of that for sure. I, it's just, it's a partnership. I, I like to see, and I feel like anybody working with a practitioner, nutritionist, any uh, health professional. I believe that's the best way. the The whole commitment, involvement, and being part of the process yeah. as well as the solution.
1: Absolutely, yeah. it's the, it's the only way to empower you, the individual, to take the work that we do and for you to own it for the rest of your life.
0: Wow. That's fantastic. I'm sure you've changed so many lives. And I hope now that you know we're talking and we've we've come to this land that a lot of people can can benefit from working with you. So
1: absolutely. It's 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 a pleasure. It's it's my life's work, is what I'll say. <laughs> it's what I've I ran away from it for a long time doing this, but now I just can't picture doing anything else.
0: Oh well, well. Well thank you. I'm I'm so happy we found you. I'm so happy you took us to this land. And, uh, do you have anything else you want to share before we go?
1: Well, you know, I I just love to connect with people. So you're very welcome to even send me a friend request on Facebook. You know, I'm, I'm like pretty easygoing. I I really, really, truly enjoy connecting with people. Um, and so I just encourage you like reach out, you got questions, reach out. I'm I'm about as down to earth as you're going to find if if I could toot my own horn in that way. So don't, (laughs) don't, don't be shy. Let's just have a conversation. You'd be amazed at like what one conversation can do for opening and changing your perspective.
0: Well, wow, that's excellent. All right, everybody, don't be shy, reach out. He's down to earth. And I'm a big fan of that. Like Minds Connect. So thanks for taking us to this place for food freedom. Um, and we may be back again, because this was such a wonderful conversation. And I appreciate all that you're doing and all the free resources that you have for people.
1: Yeah, thank thanks you. Thanks lot, for hosting me.
0: You're welcome. Thanks for joining the Passionate Health Advocate Show with your host, Denise DeShuttler. Like what you hear? Then subscribe, rate, and review this podcast.